to go to Bible college. He loved God and he committed his life to serving him. Everything was going great at college until they got to the module on preaching and speaking in public. As part of this, they had to stand up and preach in front of the students. But Simon hated being at the front. He hated the spotlight. If ever had to go to the front of church, his heart would start racing. His palms would become sweaty. He'd get that knot in his stomach. He explained all this to his tutor, but his tutor said, it's something you've got to do if you want to pass the course. You don't have to go first, but you've got to do it. So Simon reluctantly accepted and started preparing his message. Finally, the day came. Simon was prepared, but as he was sat there, oh, he started to tense up. The palms, the stomach. He stood up nervously and said, does anyone know what I'm going to speak about today? No, came the reply. So Simon said, good, in that case you won't miss anything and ran off. <laughs> His tutor caught up with him the following day and was understanding and said, I appreciate now it's got the better of you, but you've got to do this to pass the course. We'll give you another chance next week. So the following week, Simon stood up again. Does anyone know what I'm going to speak about this week? Now, these are students. These are intelligent people. So they thought back to the week before. What happened when we said no? He ran off. We'll say yes. Simon replied, good. In that case, I don't need to say anything. And ran off again. Again, the tutor sat down with Simon. And while understanding, he was forceful in telling him, you've got one last chance. Speak next week or you're going to fail the course. That just made Simon even tenser. He hardly slept during the week. And when finally the day arrived, he was a bag of nerves. The third time, Simon stood up and said, does anyone know what I'm going to speak on today? Now, based on what had happened the previous weeks, half the students said yes and half said no. Simon said, well, in that case, those that know can tell those that don't know. And he ran off. Upset and distraught, he went to the tutor the next day. He'd packed his bags, fully expecting to be going home. The tutor sat down and said, we can work on the length, but your message today sums things up brilliantly. Those that know, tell those that don't know. This morning, we start our series on the missional life. Those who know... Telling and showing those who don't know. And as we've heard, the missional life is one of the five values at Junction 10, isn't it? Quick recap, we started the year, well, we started the year with foundations, but then we looked at the, during Lent? Servant, you can, you can speak back, servant life. So that servant life, that's missional, there's three more, what are they? Passionate life, you can't answer, you should know. Uh, Grace-driven, generous, yes, excellent, they come up in a second. There we go. I, I noticed we do missional life, and I put missional in purple on there as well. What, what, what are the chances of that, eh? What are the chances? But anyway, we'll pick those other three up at a later date. Over the next seven to eight weeks, we're going to be looking at mission and evangelism. What are the big questions that people have got about Christianity? How has evangelism changed the method versus the message? 
we'll hear stories that will encourage how people have shared their story with others or how other people have been spoken to about God. What does it mean for us to be evangelistic individually and as a church? The evening services are going to dovetail with the theme as well. We've got Worship Central tonight. But if I can give a special push for next week, um, one Sunday evening last year, Judith Halsall shared stories from her family's Christian journey, including the account of a thumb that grew back. All that came from arguably the last significant widespread move of God in this area, if not the country. There were ev evangelistic events in the black country in taking place in town halls, not churches, town halls, that people were queuing to get into. They used to send vans round the following day, that's right, isn't it, Judith? To collect up the crutches and the wheelchairs that had been left behind from the healings. And next Sunday evening, we're going to hear about those missions, the impact it had on the church in this area. Just imagine that now, in the black country, people queuing to get into a church service. Mass salvation and healing. You know, 6,000 people went to Kimva to meet in the tent. I don't think there's 6,000 people in Kimva on a good day. As I heard about this, I was encouraged because the God who stirred people then, who poured out his healing, his salvation power, is the same God that we serve today. Now, the series is going to come with a couple of challenges too. At the end of this series, we've got Father's Day. And we're going to make that an opportunity for you to invite people to church. Now, you can invite them anytime. Don't wait for that. But we're going to make that intentionally accessible for people to come to. We're going to start the morning with bacon rolls. I haven't told you yet, Justine, she's gone out. I've got to tell her that. <laughs> can you think of a better reason to come to church? And, oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, actually, there's lots of better reasons to come to church. But in addition to all the good reasons why you should come to church, we're going to have bacon rolls too. Seriously, though, start thinking about who you're going to invite on that Sunday morning. Stewards, at this point, can you start handing the cards out? We've got some cards coming around now, and as you get one, you'll see that we're going to run an alpha course in September. Now, on these cards, we want you to keep hold of them and keep them. We've noted who's sitting where, so if there's any left, we'll know who to come to to pass them on later. There's a space to write down the name of three people that you could invite to alpha. On the other side, to help if you want, there's a prayer that you can pray in terms of how you're going to invite them to come. Now, some of you are going to have three names straight away. You're already praying for three people, maybe more, that could come. Some of you may need a little bit longer to think of three names. And some of you may be sat there thinking, well, I've got no Christ non-Christian friends to invite. Well, you've got a few months to go out and make some and then invite them. I'm going to give you permission as a church to create a problem for the leadership. You don't know what it is yet, Ray. Calm down. <laughs> We're going to hold the Alpha course at Living Water. But there's a limit on space. The problem we'd love to have is more people wanting to do Alpha than we can accommodate at Living Water. It means we'd have to look at doing another course, but that's the sort of problem that we want. And also, start thinking, could you help run Alpha in some way? Now, I need to make an apology with a card. Um, if you're a fan of Top Gear, the old Top Gear, 
there used to be a saying, ambitious but rubbish. And after signing off on the cards, I realised they made a mistake with the date. June the 12th, it's got the PM as a prophetic prayer night. But what's happening on the evening of the 12th of June? Right, you've got to give the others a chance. I'm going to tape your mouth up. 12th of June, we've got the baptismal service. So what's scheduled there for the 12th is now going to take place on the evening of the 19th instead. Sorry about that. So what is evangelism and what does it mean? Well, mission or evangelism is taking advantage of the opportunities to share what, what we know with, about Jesus with others. Sharing faith, spreading good news, the gospel. Did you know the word evangelism doesn't actually appear in the Bible? It comes from the word evangelist that does. An evangelist is a preacher of the gospel, the good news. Jesus said in Mark 16, verse 15, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. The gospel, the good news, at its core, the basic, simply the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, for everybody's sins, for all mankind, and rose again after three days, having defeated death. Now, evangelism... That may come as a loaded term to some people. It doesn't mean walking up to a total stranger and saying, if you died right now, are you going to go to hell or heaven? Some people can ask those questions very directly and do it very well. Those are the ones who are gifted in evangelism, the ones we would describe as evangelists. Now, hands up if you've ever seen or heard people evangelizing on the streets or in the town center yeah quite a few seen it done well seen it done not so well i've got another confession now i was once in st ives on a stag do a surfing stag do with a friend i was the best man i'd gone to school with him i'd gone to college with him but then he'd gone away to work and i didn't know anybody else there and as far as i know i was the only christian we dressed the groom up as the Incredible Hulk, painted in green and everything, and we were out. We were walking down the town having a laugh. If you've been to St. Ives, you know the streets are quite narrow, aren't they? And this van was coming up, and he wanted to get past, and there's a group of us. And he saw the Hulk, and the Hulk leaned against the van in slow motion, and he got the joke, and he was there revving his engine as though he was trying to get forward, and the Hulk was stopping him. And we are having fun, until we got down to the beach. And there was a beach mission. Hulk, smash the Christians. Oh, no. I saw the look of fear on the mission people's faces. I think they saw the look on mine. I've never prayed so quickly in my life. Unfortunately, Hulk decided to take another path. But we've seen people evangelizing, haven't we? Some are gifted. Some use props to attract people and hold people's attention. Some aren't. Sadly, some just shout cliched phrases that offer little love, little joy. And you think, if that's the peace that your God gives you, then you can keep it. To quote Rick Warren from Taking God Seriously, there are two basic reasons people don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour. One, they've never met a Christian. And two, they have met a Christian. Christian influence is no small thing. 
So does that mean if you're not gifted as an evangelist, you're exempt? Well, sorry, no. Matthew 28, Jesus gave the command to all his followers, to the disciples, through to us today. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and I am surely with you always to the very end of the age. So the purpose of evangelism? Well, it's not a method or a program. Often when you hear the word evangelism, you get that picture, don't you, of a tent, putting a tent up, going door to door from houses, waving the Bible on the street, in themselves, not bad things. But the heart of it is the idea of building relationships between people and God. You know, we need to tell people what we do. But often first, we have to show them. We have to live our lives so they can see what Christ is doing in us. Sometimes that can be by being there for somebody at their time of need. Sometimes it's how they see you handle a difficult situation. Sometimes it's through the commitment you've got to church and to God. Sometimes it's cooking a meal for somebody. It may be filling a shoebox with little presents for a child you may never meet. Sharing what we know about Jesus is to lead people into a personal relationship with him. Because of the single act of love and mercy made by God in giving his son, we've got the opportunity to come into relationship with him. Evangelism is aiming to persuade. In recent years, it's grown common for businesses and corporations to use what they call brand evangelists. Men or women who passionately advocate for a product or a service or a platform. I don't know if you've seen uh, Microsoft, they had a guy called Steve Ballmer, and he'd come on stage at launch of a new product and like, yeah, come on, yeah, look at this phone, it's going to change your life, yeah, yeah. To make you think that you need this phone. And of course, on the television, Hi, I'm Barry Scott, and I use silly bang. <laughs> the aim is to persuade you that the thing they're passionate about is something that you should be too. And as Christians, is that what we should be doing? One definition of evangelism, teaching the gospel with the aim to persuade. With our words, we seek to convince non-believers of the truth of the good news. Hoping and believing that through this process, friends, family members will come to know Christ and have a sense of joy and renewed purpose. But it's not a sales pitch. You know, sometimes we can be well-intentioned but misguided and treat it as such. But we can't guarantee faith, becoming a Christian, as a guarantee of health, wealth, or great relationships. And to do so, we'll be making shallow claims that we can't keep. If we think of it as nothing more than a sales job, sign on the dotted line by saying this prayer, become the proud owner of salvation, and we're kind of missing the point. The promise sounds nice, but we can't keep it. Hands up, if you're a Christian here and have had problems in life since becoming a Christian. 
I'm looking for the people I haven't got their hands up because I want to go and speak to them. <laughs> Becoming a Christian can often spark trouble, can't it? We can be forced to stand and wrestle with a faith that we perhaps barely understand at the time. That's not easy. And as we've seen, it's common. Perhaps more common than we admit sometimes. But when we're saved, we start to become like Christ. We're saved into a life like his. And just think about the life that Jesus led. If we're to become like him, should we expect trouble? It's not a free pass out of difficult times. And it can be destructive if we present it at that. Because evangelism is about telling people the truth. It's a bit cliche, but what you win someone with, you win them too. So it's not about enticing people in, into the promise of earthly delight and eternal life. The aim is to tell the truth. The truth we're telling is that as people, we're separated from God by sin. Those sins demand judgment from God. There's no way we can earn forgiveness through our own efforts. God mercifully sent his one and only son to live a perfect life on our behalf, to die on our behalf and rise again in victory over sin and death. Jesus' offers us, Jesus' sacrifice offers us forgiveness for sins and allows us to stand before God. After accepting the offer, we must turn from our old ways and pursue relationship with him. As Christians, we're no longer our own, but we belong to Christ and being transformed to be like him. And one day, Jesus will return. And on that day, everyone who believes in him will be joined for eternity, free from sin, sickness, sadness, and death. Because evangelism is an act of love. Has anybody seen or know the American magicians or illusionists, Penn and Teller? Yes. Penn Gillette, he's the big tall guy. He's a committed atheist. But he shares a story of how a man came up to him after one of his shows and shared the gospel. While it didn't change his life, it didn't convince him that he was wrong, he was touched. He's a big guy physically, this pen. He could have ridiculed him, but he saw it as an act of love. And he even went so far as offered a stern rebuke to Christians who don't evangelize. How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them about it? Important reminder, evangelism is an act of love. We tell people about Jesus because we want them to know him. We tell people how their relationship with God can be restored because we want it to be restored. And we warn people about judgment, wrath and hell because we want them to avoid those things. Hopefully we do it helpfully, truthfully, kindly, 
not condescendingly or arrogantly or cruelly, but we're motivated by love. Acts 5.42 says, Day after day in the temple courts, and from house to house, they, that's the apostles, never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. The apostles had something burning inside of them to share what God had done. They got into trouble with the Jewish ruling leaders. They were told to quit preaching about Christ. And as they were in Acts 4, they said, As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15 says that Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. It's God's greatest desire that we spend the rest of eternity with him. You spend eternity with him, I spend eternity with him, everybody to spend eternity with him. That's awesome. And people need to know that. There's a story that while speaking in London, evangelist D.L. Moody was approached by a British companion who wanted to know the secret of Moody's success in leading people to Christ. Moody directed man to look out of the hotel window and said, what do you see? The man looked on the square and reported a view of crowded streets. Moody said, look again. This time, the man mentioned seeing people, men, women, and children. Moody directed him a third time to look, and the man became frustrated because he was not seeing what Moody wanted him to. The great evangelist came to the window, eyes watering, and said, I see people going to hell without Jesus. Until you see people like that, you will not lead them to Christ. But I've got another confession this morning. Sometimes I think I'm possibly the world's worst evangelist. Does anybody else feel like that? Yeah. I don't wake up in the morning thinking, I'll get to share the gospel with somebody today. Some people are. That's great. But that's not me. I don't hide the fact that I'm a Christian. I'll talk to people about my faith. But sometimes you can be in that conversation and it takes a turn and you think, ah, how direct am I going to be here? Maybe we get nervous. Maybe we've heard negative stories, people getting into trouble for sharing the faith. Maybe we've had bad experiences. We've tried telling non-Christian friends and family about Jesus, but they just nod and change the subject. Maybe it's fear of rejection, of being separated. Maybe we've tried sharing it by the way that we live our lives. But in the end, the neighbours think you're a good bloke, but they know no more about Jesus. So what do people think about Christians? And what do they think about Christians when they start evangelising? Well... In March 2015, more than 40 leaders of denominations and networks, key influencers from across the spectrum of UK church gathered in the Lake District for 24 hours of prayer and dialogue. The event hosted by the Evangelical Alliance, Hope and the Church of England. Gareth Russell was the Vice President for Barna Global for the UK and Europe. 
He presented the initial findings of the perceptions of Jesus, Christians, and evangelism, which drew on a survey of a thousand people in England. The reactions to the presentation, shocking, surprising, and life-changing. They commissioned the Barna Group to redo the survey with a larger sample, this time with 4,000 people. And the results were all but identical. The delegates sought to prioritize themes in response to the question, what is the Lord saying to the churches? Pastor Agu Iroku of the Redeemed Christian Church of God UK said, we mustn't institutionalize what comes out of this. The early church was a dynamic, expressive movement. The Holy Spirit must have the central role. The subject concluded by agreeing that together, working towards 2050-50-50, the churches would join the mission of God to raise the bar in the population's understanding of who Jesus is, increase the percentage of people who know a follower of Jesus, who's positively shared life and faith with them, and see an increase year by year in the number of people who become followers of Jesus. The foreword of the summary says, this piece of research has been conducted with the hope and prayer that it will be a major catalyst for effective and focused evangelism in the decades to come. The challenge before the church is profound. Can we raise the bar of the English population's understanding of who Jesus is? Are we prepared to commit ourselves to sharing our life and faith with those who don't know him? Do you want to know some of the findings? Well, first up, 57% identified as Christian, but only 9% of the total sample identified as practicing Christians. Most English adults do not believe the Bible is God's word. They felt that it was best described as how people of the time understood the ways and the principles of God. 40% now believe that it is God's actual word. 60% believe that Jesus was a real person. 60% There's slightly more, a higher percentage of older people than younger people believe that. Those who didn't thought that it was maybe a fictional character out of a book and not a real historical person. More than well, 40% of English adults who are not practicing Christians do not believe that Jesus was a real person or they're unsure if he was real or not. Belief in Jesus' divinity is not common. About one in five, 20% holds a view that Jesus was God in human form. The most common belief that was Jesus was a prophet or a spiritual leader, but not God. And just under half of English adults believe in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. 17% believe that it happened word for word as described in the Bible. And the other 26 said that, that the biblical story contains some content which should not be taken literally. Wow, some stark findings there, aren't there? Do you see the need for us to step up and share the good news? But 
it comes with some encouragement. The participants were asked for words that come to mind when Jesus Christ is mentioned. What do you think the responses from non-Christian adults were? You'd expect God, Christianity, religion, but non-Christians identified him as saviour, love, peace, and Lord. The most popular responses from all UK adults were spiritual, loving, and peaceful. So what about non-Christians' perception of Christians? Well, the majority of non-Christians in England know a Christian. Approximately two-thirds of non-Christians report that they know someone who's a follower of Jesus. That's a practicing Christian. And mostly they will be family members or friends. Most, Christian, most non-Christians say they enjoy the company of their Christian friends. 60% so they enjoy being around their Christian friends or family always, or most of the time. And non-Christians attribute more positive than negative qualities to the Christians they know. So what, do they, what qualities do non-Christians attribute to Christians? Friendly, caring, good-humoured, generous, encouraging and hopeful. Now look look at the, the the charts there, the bar charts, and where they're at. If you can go to the next slide. These are the negative qualities. People see us far more positively than we perhaps think. What about when we start to talk to these people about Christ? What's a non-Christian's experience of evangelism? Well, more than half of English non-Christians know a Christian and have had a conversation with them about Jesus. But the response to that is mixed. With one in five not wanting to know any more after a conversation. So what about the Christian journey in terms of if we evangelise, how do people become Christians? Well, nearly half of all practising Christians grew up in a Christian home. The other half came to faith later. But there's a challenge there for parents, if you're a parent here. One of the key things in terms of people growing up with faith is growing up in a Christian home. What example is that? You know, sometimes it's easy to say, oh, don't worry about that. But if you want your children to go on with God, set the example. A variety of influences led to, Christ to practising Christians make their faith commitment. It includes growing up in a Christian family, attending church service, reading the Bible, conversation with the Christians they know well, experiencing the love of Jesus, an unexplainable spiritual experience or a life event, positive or negative. Many Christian friends, sorry, many Christians credit their friends for the conversation that led to them becoming a Christian. Well, that's where it comes down to us as individuals, isn't it? You've got your friends, I've got my friends. 
We may know the same friends, but your relationship with them will be different to my relationship with them. You may have the key to unlock their life for Christ that I haven't got. We'll do the video later on, early, all right? If you want to know more about this, go to the survey, talkingjesus.org.uk. So in conclusion, evangelism is not to be feared. Those figures show that we're liked. Let's recognize it. Let's inspire confidence. And let's challenge the negative images that get presented by the media about Christians. But it's not about positive PR for us. It's about pointing people towards Jesus, wanting relationship with him. Let's be encouraged to prioritize talking to Jesus to our friends, about Jesus to friends and family. 20% are open to him. And if 20% are open to him from my talking, one of those other four might be open to him from Tony talking to them. There are many people who don't know a practicing Christian. How do we reach them? We need to pray for the church in our nation. We've seen the figures that say there's a big challenge, but also a great opportunity. We need God's intervention. Prayer and action is essential. We've seen, haven't we, that many people believe that Jesus' resurrection, but they don't recognize the impact it has for them. Let's discuss how we can make our top priority making Jesus known to those who don't know him. And let's tell the stories as to how that takes place. Let's consider the implications from the survey on what influences people to become Christians and how that should impact us as a church. Because when you think about it, my hesitancy, maybe yours too, why are we afraid to tell people such good news? The greatest news. Why wouldn't I want to share that with people? After all, we believe it's fundamental. Let's get past this idea that somebody else can do it better. Okay, you may be not the greatest or gifted evangelist, but you may be the best evangelist your friends and family will ever meet. What if I do it wrong? What if people don't respond? What if? What if? The what ifs don't matter. We don't need to fear man. We don't need to be concerned about what to say because we believe the Holy Spirit will guide and prompt us. We don't need to get caught up in results. We sow the seed. Some of it will fall on stony ground. Some of it will fall on good ground. And don't be surprised if things get difficult. Jesus did, didn't he? The trolls will come, persevere through. And when we understand it, evangelism suddenly gets to get, starts to get a bit less scary. Thank you for listening this morning. We're going to pick that up next week. You've got your cards now. Please consider the names that are going to go on there. Um, we come to the end of our service. We're going to be joined after our final song uh, by the dedication party uh, for, for Teddy uh, Arias. Um, you're more than welcome to stay for that if you want to. If you've got children in Kids Church, so could you please go and collect them 
before uh, you, you come back in. Uh, Lely, while after the final song, while people are, are going if they need to go, can we play that video, if that's all right, please? Uh, and, uh, yeah, so we're going to take our offering as well on the final song. Um, so you're more than welcome to stay for the